Well, you can probably tell by my sultry voice, um, I, I uh, was not feeling well all week, and uh, just on the tail end of uh, a cold, and I thought, well, as long as I don't get excited and yell and scream, uh, I should be able to preach, which if you don't know me, that's like, uh, it's going to be impossible. Um, <clears throat> and I'll just give a little disclaimer, I wrote this sermon uh, Tuesday and Wednesday at my kitchen table in between like fevers and hacking up stuff. So it doesn't, if it doesn't make any sense, let's just blame that, okay? First uh, Corinthians 13, uh, if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it? Um, probably all of us have heard this passage read at a wedding. Uh, most, most of us, right? Actually, uh, raise your hand if you've heard parts of 1 Corinthians 13 read at a wedding. Yeah, almost all of us, right? Uh, it's a very famous passage of Scripture. Lots of times, it's interesting, when I do weddings, uh, I've married uh, couples who are not believers, and if I ever ask, like, well, do you want me to say anything? Is there anything from the Bible that you would like? Odds are, they'll say, well, isn't there, like, something about love in, uh, I think it's, like, Corinthians? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, First Corinthians 13, sure. Uh, very famous, right, when it comes to weddings, because it's the love chapter, um, but it's interesting. This is, this is actually uh, not a break in Paul's argument in chapters 12, 13, and 14. It's not, it's not as if Paul just said, like, actually, let me just pause talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy, and let me just talk about how great love is. Uh, that's, that's not the context at all. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 fits into this whole section because, let me remind you, the Corinthians were obsessed with speaking in tongues and prophecy, <coughs> excuse me, as the best gifts that you could have, right? So what are the, what's the sign that you are very, very spiritual and very, very elite? Well, you can speak in tongues and you can prophesy and those are the best gifts that you can have. Those are the, the marks of being super spiritual. And now Paul, for like the last chapter, has been trying to show them that there's actually a better way to use your gifts. I think that's why uh, Paul ends chapter 12. If you look at the second half of verse 31 of chapter 12, he's just talked about there's all these different kind of gifts and uh, we need them all. We need all the body parts. And then he says, and I will show you a, a still more excellent way. What does he mean by that? What he's saying is, Okay, you have all these gifts and you can use them, but let me show you the way of love as you operate and, and uh, use your gifts. That's the more excellent way. Not just using your gifts to show how spiritual you are, but the way of love is, is the best way, the most excellent way to use your gifts. So the question that the Corinthians should be asking is not what gift is the most spiritual the question they should be asking is, as I exercise my gifts, is love being radiated from me? Can people uh, sense love as I use my gifts? So, uh, Paul's going to make three points about love as we explore this chapter. <coughs> um, and Three points about love, specifically in how do we use our gifts in the church. So he's going to talk about the necessity of love, the characteristics of love, 
and the superiority of love. So we'll look at all three of those points. And to help us remember them, I've also attached a song title to them. So again, let's blame the cold for what was going through my brain. So number one, verses one to three, the necessity of love is Paul's first point. Or what's love got to do with it? Okay? It's just to help you remember. Okay? What, what's love got to do with it? The necessity of love, verse, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul uh, starts by showing the necessity of love as we use our spiritual gifts. Paul, so what you have to understand is Paul's using a, a whole bunch of hypothetical scenarios to show why love is so needed when we use our gifts. And for some of them, he's being very uh, hyperbolic, meaning he's, he's exaggerating to try and prove a point. So here's just a, uh, an aside to clarify. Paul in verse 1 is not literally saying that there are tongues of angels and, and men. So, see, some have said, oh, see, Verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1, this means that speaking in tongues is all of these angelic languages that you don't understand. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that angelic tongues actually exist. He's using a hyperbolic argument to go, let's say that you could speak in every known language, and let's just say that there was even languages that no one knew that you could speak in. So there's actually zero biblical evidence to suggest that angels speak some kind of language that we don't know. Now, when we talk about extremes, right, we want to land in the middle, but there's extremes that say, okay, now if you just kind of string together syllables and and babble incoherently, you're just speaking in an an angelic language. That's not what speaking in tongues is biblically, right? We've seen... That every time that phrase is used, it's talking about known languages. It's just that you don't know them. So it would be me praying or speaking in Mandarin when I have no idea how to speak Mandarin. So I just wanted to clarify, Paul's not saying that angelic tongues exist. He's using an outlandish example to, to prove a point. Even in his second example, right, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Is there really someone who can understand all knowledge? No, because then you'd be God, right? So he's using an outlandish example. Even if you knew everything in the universe and you still didn't have love. That's Paul's whole point. Here's what he's getting at. Why is love so needed? Well, you could be very, very gifted. Uh, you could be using your gifts in the church And if you don't have love, Paul says, it's pointless. So he gives five examples. So number one, he's he's going for the gift that they placed the highest value on, speaking in tongues. And he says, if you can speak in tongues, but you have no love, 
it's essentially just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm going to show you what this looks like, okay? Hopefully the camera can still see me. I won't mess anything up, Janelle. Um, this is what Paul means. So let's say I come to church and I'm like, I'm very excited to use my gift. I'm very gifted in speaking in tongues. And I stand up and I began to eloquently talk about all the things in my life and how amazing it is, blah, 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 blah. Do you see how annoying that is? Right? Paul's like, if you stand up and it's just this showtime of how great, I can speak in so many different tongues and I can even speak in all these different tongues. And Paul's like, if you do that and the emphasis is not, I'm doing this because I love the church and I love all of my brothers and sisters and I love the gospel and I want us to be edified. He says, it's just like a banging symbol. It's annoying. Don't do that. It's basically someone who wants to sound important but doesn't actually care about people. Um, the second example he gives is uh, prophetic powers, which the Corinthians, again, were very obsessed with. I have wisdom and I have knowledge and I can, I, I'm receiving messages from God and that makes me better than you. And Paul, Paul uses uh, uh, exaggeration and says, listen, if you knew everything in the universe and you didn't have love, well, you, you're nothing. Uh, he uses faith as the third um, example. He says, you could have the gift of faith that could uh, remove mountains. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. Uh, the fourth example, he says, if you give away everything you have and you don't have love, you gain nothing. So literally, if you were like, I just, I, uh, because I'm a good follower of Jesus, I'm going to give away all my possessions. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to give away everything I have. And Paul says, if you do that and your motivation isn't actually love, then you've gained nothing by doing that. And if you deliver, uh, his fifth example, if you deliver your body up to be burned, so basically if you die as a martyr, if you say, yes, I can go and I will die for my faith and you can light me on fire and I'll never recant, he says, if you do that and your motivation isn't love, you've actually gained nothing. So motivation matters, doesn't it? Because we would say, well, it's a good thing to be a martyr. It's a good thing to give away your uh, possessions for the poor. It's a good thing to speak in tongues and to prophesy and to, to have faith. And Paul says, sure, those are all great gifts, but your motivation matters. Because if you do any of those things without love, Paul says, you are nothing and you gain nothing. So these gifts, no matter how amazing they might seem, they're only useful to build up the church when you and I use them with love. Otherwise, it's just meaningless. <coughs> um, the greatest thing that we can do is love. I mean, think about Jesus in Matthew 22. They asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he summed up the entire law by saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we go, really, the entire law? You will keep the whole law if you just love God and love people. That's the, that's the necessity of love. It's kind of what Jesus calls us to do. Love God and then love one another. So love is needed. So just to reflect as you think about your own life and serving in the church and using your gifts... As you do that, what is, what's the motivation in it? Are you motivated by love? Like, right, when you, 
when you use your gifts or you serve in the church or you serve other people, is your motivation, man, I hope people see me serving? Or man, I hope I get some good feedback from whatever I've, I've done. Or is the motivation, I, I, I just love the church and I love my brothers and sisters. I just hope they're blessed. I hope they're edified. I, it's about love. So love is, is necessary, right? Paul's first point is the necessity of love as we use our gifts. If we don't use our gifts with love, then we might as well not even use our gifts. But the question then is, well, what, is, what does love actually look like, right? Because is love primarily a feeling? So if as I use my gifts, people just have to have the warm fuzzies, right? Is that what he's talking about? Or is love uh, in our day and age just acceptance? So as I use my gifts, and even if people are in sin and they're doing that, I just have to accept them because I love them. Is that what he means? Uh, Paul's going to tell us, point number two, here are the characteristics of love or I want to know what love is. Okay? It's good. It's good. Okay? <laughs> because we could say, okay, well, I'm going to use my gifts in love, but what does that look like? What does love actually look like? What is the characteristics of it? So starting in verse 4, uh, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we should all go, ah, okay, I get it, Paul. Why is this section here? Is this the wedding section? No. I get it. We're, we're to use our gifts in love and here's what that actually looks like in the church. This is what love looks like as we serve one another. See, some have found it odd as I was doing study this week. Um, some even scholars are like, did Paul add this in later? Chapter 13 just seems like it could be so out of place. We're talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy and, and gifts. And then all of a sudden it's like he's I'm just breaking out in this eloquent hymn about, uh, about love. <clears throat> but rather than Paul just, you know, breaking out into this great hymn on how great love is, this text, I think, is a commentary about what is rotten in Corinth. Paul's critiquing their attitude about their gifts, right? And, and basically, they're the opposite of this description of love. Um, think about all the problems that we've seen in, in Corinth, they're the opposite of this list. They are impatient. They are unkind. The Corinthians are filled with jealousy. They're vainglorious. They're puffed up with uh, conceit. They insist on their own way, right? Why should I wait for them to eat? I'm just going to eat my own meal, right? That doesn't sound like love. They insist on their own way, they're resentful. They're rejoicing in wrong rather than right, right? Oh, a man is uh, sleeping with his stepmom? Well, that just shows how spiritual we are. That doesn't sound like love. Love rejoices with the truth. They're rejoicing with what's wrong. So Paul's laying out, yes, amazing attributes and characteristics of what love looks like. But I think what he's doing is saying, look, you Corinthians, you're the opposite of this. 
Now, notice that Paul uses 15 verbs instead of um, adjectives because what is he getting at? Love is not biblically primarily a feeling. Like we've made that in our, right? You watch <clears throat> um, any romantic comedy. Um, pick whatever one you want. They're all the same. <laughs> Am I wrong? But it's all like, oh, and then I, our eyes met across the room and blah, and then I just had the, oh, the swoop of emotions. And, the, and then we're in love. It's true love, right? So our culture says that love is just primarily that like butterfly feeling that you get when you see the person across the room. Listen, biblically, there's like none of that in the biblical definition of love. Biblical definition of love is about serving each other. It's about actually what are you willing to lay down for someone rather than the feelings that you get from them. Like so Paul, using all of these different verbs, is saying love is actually dynamic and active. It's not a feeling that you get. It's not a static thing. It's not just a, an emotion. Love is actually something that you show by serving. Now, I'm not going to go over every characteristic of love. Most are, are very self-explanatory when we think about, you know, patience and kindness and uh, not being arrogant or rude. Like, we, we can kind of, we know what that means. <clears throat> but imagine if all believers interacted with one another and served in the church and used our gifts this way. Can you imagine if that's how we did it? If we said, okay, as I use my gift and as I serve, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm not going to envy your gift. Like, right, love doesn't envy. So when you use your gift, I'm not going to go, man, I wish I had that gift. Love would just be, I'm not going to envy that. God bless you that you have that gift. C can you imagine not not boasting about our gifts, not being arrogant or rude to one another, not assisting or not insisting that we have to do things my way. Oh man, I'm kind of a control freak. That's hard for me. We're going to do something and okay, you're going to do it your way, but that's the way of love. I'm not going to insist on my way. Sure, God bless you. Do it your way. And if we used our gifts and we weren't irritable or resentful, if we actually bore with one another, if we believed each other, if we hoped together. I think what Paul's doing is, no wonder he says, I'm going to show you a, a more excellent way. This is a way better way to use our gifts. In love, with those kind of attributes in the church. So I'll give you an example. Um, when I was interning uh, at the church uh, down in Maple Ridge where I was basically learning how to be a pastor. I'm like 20 years old. Um, I'm in seminary, and I had a couple of mentors, Rob and then uh, Mark, who uh, behaved this way with me as they were helping me use my gifts and as they used their gifts of leadership and preaching. And, and I, I can remember multiple times with, you know, Mark, I would preach a sermon, and I'm like 20, right? So I'm even more 
loud and angry than I am now, right? <laughs> Which is, you're like, what? Because I'm just so excited to be preaching. And then Mark would just meet with me after, and we would go for lunch, and he would talk about, right, in uh, gentleness, not being arrogant or rude, uh, not uh, I- insisting on that I do things his way, but just lovingly, okay, well, did you think about maybe not saying that, or maybe doing it this way, or maybe you could have, you know, flushed that point out a little bit more. And my mentor, uh, Rob, when I was doing youth ministry, he would do the same thing. He would let me try like insane youth events and uh, fail miserably right at them. And I'm like, how did that not go well? And he was like, I knew that that was going to happen. But right, as my mentor, he's like, I don't have to insist on doing things my way because I want you to actually grow and learn. So it's amazing when you can use your gifts and serve in a church where it's primarily done in love, love being these descriptions when we're patient with each other. And we're kind with each other. And we rejoice in the truth. We don't rejoice in wrongdoing. And we're bearing with one another. And we believe each other. And we're hoping together. And we're enduring things together. That's the characteristics of love. That's what love looks like on display through our gifts in the church. (coughs) Last point. The superiority of love or... All you need is love. (laughs) You're going to remember those three. I know you will. Paul's going to talk about why love is actually superior, even than our gifts. So verse 8, he says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So notice, Paul says um, there's, there's gifts that are going to stop being gifts. There's gifts that are going to pass away. And yet he says, but you know what doesn't end? You know what doesn't cease? Love. Love never ends. In contrast to prophecy and tongues and knowledge, those things are going to cease because they will one day cease to be needed. Now, here's the debate uh, that has been going on for, you know, all of church history. When do these gifts end? Right? And you basically have two camps, if you want to call that. Uh, You have a cessationist point of view, and you have a continuationist point of view. And for the cessationist point of view, they believe that Paul is saying here that these gifts ceased... Uh, at the end of the apostolic age. Once uh, the canon of Scripture was closed, so roughly around 100 AD, um, those gifts of tongues and prophecy and and knowledge, um, we didn't need them anymore because we had the Bible now. So Paul's talking about uh, those kind of specific sign gifts that were for a little bit, and now we don't need them. Uh, That would be the cessationist uh, point of view. The continuationist point of view is, uh, no, these gifts continue, and Paul's talking about uh, the return of Jesus and the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth when we won't need those kind of gifts anymore. So I'm not going to tell you, but I want you to listen as we hear the rest of Paul's argument and you decide what sounds most like what he's talking about? Is he talking about that, well, once the Bible's here, we don't need those gifts? Or is he talking about the return of Jesus? Okay, so 
Verses 9 and 10, this is what he says. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So Paul says that you and I, as we use our gifts, it's like we're, we're, we know and we prophesy and we're, we're doing things in part. We don't have the, the full picture yet. We don't have all knowledge. We don't have all wisdom. We have part of it. But then he says, but when the perfect comes, then we will, uh, sorry, when the perfect comes, then the partial, those gifts will pass away. So when we have the perfect, full, complete knowledge, we, we don't need the gifts of prophecy and we don't need any gifts actually. <clears throat> Verse 11, his second example, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What does he mean? Well, he's using an example from how, you, uh, from how humans mature. Right, so when you were a child, you spoke and you reasoned and you thought like a child, right? Which is like, kids, they're great, but they're not very smart sometimes, right? Because they're children and they reason like children and they think like children. And then even some of them talk like children. Like even our, uh, our, one of our daughters, sometimes she'll like slip back into like talking with like baby talk. And we're like, no, you're not a baby. Talk like a big girl, right? Uh, because they talk, little kids talk like that. And they, they reason really poorly sometimes. But Paul is saying, but then when you grow up, you give up childish ways. As you mature, there's no need to think and talk and reason like a child because you're an adult now. So Paul, Paul's point with this illustration is there's, there's an age appropriate for certain activities. And then there's an age that comes when they're no longer appropriate. So if certain gifts were going we're gonna, to continue into eternity, let's say, let's say into eternity we, we still needed the gift of knowledge and tongues and prophecy, that, Paul's saying that would be like a grown man acting like a child. At a certain point... We don't need that anymore, right? We can put it aside. Verse 12 is third example. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Um, a reflection in a mirror isn't the fullness of the thing reflected, is it? And some scholars go into all these rabbit trails about the types of mirrors in Corinth and blah, blah, blah. And I, this is, I think we're missing the point. The point is, when I stand in, and I look in a mirror, is the reflection in the mirror the fullness of Andrew? No. It's just a reflection. Right? Even in our day and age, if you think of photographs, a photo is nice and it's useful, but it's not the real thing. Right? So the gifts of the Spirit that we have now... Man, they're great, and they're useful, but one day we're not going to need them, and when is that day? When we see face to face. So, you can tell my opinion, what is, when do the gifts cease? When we see face to face. He's talking about the ending of the gifts as the meeting of someone face to face. Just one day we'll know, right? 
like we've been fully known. Right now, it's like we're looking in a mirror. Right now, it's, it's, it's like we're seeing things in part. But Paul's saying, one day, brothers and sisters, it's coming when you're going to not just be looking in a mirror. You're going to see Jesus face to face. Will you need your gifts then? No, of course not. We're not going to have these gifts in heaven. We won't need them. I think the ceasing or passing away of the gifts is connected to the meeting of a person. Now, remember, the Corinthians viewed speaking in tongues and the gifts of knowledge as the ultimate spiritual expression. It was a sign of the heavenly world. And I love that Paul says, actually, they're not even permanent. You're putting all of this weight on these gifts, which, yeah, praise God, we've got gifts. But they're not even going to last. So you're making that the criteria of your Christian life? And you're making that the goal? I can speak in tongues. He's like, who cares? When Jesus comes back, none of us will. So don't put all of your weight and hope and meaning in the gift. And then he ends in verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. Why is love greater than faith and hope? Because, verse 8, love never ends. <clears throat> Will you and I need faith in heaven? No. Why? Well, faith, biblically, we're told, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that we don't yet see. And yet Paul says, one day you're going to see face to face. Will you and I need to have faith in Jesus when we're in heaven? No, because we're going to be looking at him. We don't have to hope for an unseen thing. We're seeing it. Will we need uh, hope in heaven? No, because hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised. In heaven, we're experiencing all of God's promises. So when the perfect comes... Faith then becomes sight, and hope is finally realized, and yet Paul is saying, do you want to know why love is the greatest? Because love continues on and on and on. It never ends. Will there be love in heaven? Oh, yes. So you can see why Paul calls this a more excellent way. The way of love, that we, we would use our gifts all the while saying, yes, we see the necessity of love. If we, if we don't have love as we use our gifts, just bang the symbol and just annoy everybody because that's what it is. And we gain nothing that way. That we would know the characteristics of love, like Paul laid out for us, that we would go, this is what love looks like in the church. That we're patient with each other, that we're kind, that we don't envy one another, that we rejoice in the truth. And then we would see the superiority of love, that far above any of our gifts that we have, which will all fade away when Jesus returns, love is superior than all of those things, because love never ends. So my prayer for me and for you is that our walks with Jesus and the use of our gifts in the church would be defined by this more excellent way, that we wouldn't serve in the church or use our gifts to try and appear, you know, better than people or to get uh, 
uh, praise from people, but that as we walk with Jesus and as we use our gifts, um, it would all be defined by love for God and love for one another. So, Father, thank you for your word. Um, God, I thank you that um, in the midst of this section on spiritual gifts, Paul brilliantly um, focuses our hearts and minds on what love is. Because again, we could fix all of our errors and yet our motivation could still be way off. <coughs> um, the, the, the Christians in Corinth could have tried to fix all of the things wrong that they were doing. And yet, if they're not motivated by love, it means nothing. So God, I, I just pray that as a church, uh, we would make love for you and love for one another the priority as we follow you and as we serve and as we use our gifts. Um, God, those descriptions in verses 4 to 8, I, I pray that that would be evident in our church. That people who come here would go, man, oh man, are they kind-hearted towards one another. Do they serve one another? They're patient with each other. They don't boast about their gifts. They don't, they're not envious of one another. God, would that be true of us? So I pray that you would just do that, that work in our hearts, that our motivation would be love. And so we just pray all of this uh, in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.